Good to be with you, many churches. We've enjoyed our episodes past in What Happens to You After You Die. And it's come to my attention that some of you good thinkers have some really good questions that have come to mind. And we're filming a couple of sequel episodes to the series to try to answer uh, at least three of the questions that I've become aware of that you are wondering about. Uh, one question that has come up is if I could elaborate upon the uh, distinction between entering the kingdom and inheriting the kingdom. And to seek to answer that question, I'm going to draw upon a fine little book called Grace in Eclipse, written by Zane Hodges. Uh, Dr. Zane Hodges taught New Testament Greek at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years, and he was promoted to glory some years ago, so he's enjoying all that heaven is uh, at this time. But we are left behind with this fine work he has done on eternal rewards, and it's called Grace and Eclipse, and much of what I'm going to share with you to answer this question comes directly from Dr. Hodges' book. And so the concept we are trying to understand is entering versus inheriting the kingdom. And as I've said, I made the point in previous episodes that every believer in Jesus will enter the thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth, but only certain rewarded Christians will inherit that kingdom. And perhaps you have always believed that to enter the millennium is equal to inheriting it. And I want to take us to some scriptures which clearly teach the truth that entering the kingdom is not the same as inheriting that kingdom. And the first passage I'd like to take us to is in Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Actually, it's a single verse. Mark 8 and verse 38. Jesus' words, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here what we're seeing in this verse is Jesus teaching about the loss of honor and the loss of recognition, but not the loss of salvation in the glorious presence of King Jesus himself when he returns to reign earth for a thousand years. Second passage is 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. This verse clearly puts forth two possible emotions for the Christian at the time of the second coming of Jesus, to set up his kingdom. The first possible emotion we could have is confidence. The second possible emotion, the opposite, shame. 1 John 2, 28 again, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You know, any shame that we're going to experience in the future, any shame that we might experience in the present, is in direct proportion to our sensitivity to sin. If we are not properly sensitive to our own sin, then we will have shame in the here and now and shame in the future when Christ establishes his kingdom. 
The third passage I want us to go to to see that entering the kingdom is not the same as inheriting the kingdom is in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 15. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent the delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. Clearly, Christ's future kingdom is in view in Christ's teaching this particular parable. We see that in verse 11. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So the kingdom, the future kingdom, is the reason Jesus told this parable. We see that in verse 11. Although all ten slaves started out with the same amount of money, they all didn't end up with the same amount, according to verse 15, this part of the parable is looking at the future judgment seat of Christ. Because it is not until later in this same parable that the enemies of the king are slain. That's in verse 27. Will you notice too in the parable that none of the king's servants are killed? This means that 19 verse 27, I'll read it, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. This means that that glimpse at the slaying of the enemies of the king is a looking forward to the great white throne judgment event that Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15 describes a time when all of the unredeemed of all of the ages are sentenced to the lake of fire for rejecting Christ as Savior. Now going back to the parable in Luke 19, look at verse 16. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. This first servant had invested his mina and had earned an impressive financial gain, a 1,000% return on investment. Not surprisingly, the king rewards him. Verse 17, and he said to him, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over 10 cities. Well, you notice that it was a literal reward. The reward was and will be authority over 10 cities. Authority over 10 cities. The reward is a role of authority, delegated authority in the new king's domain. Now, let's go on to the second servant in Jesus' parable. This servant used his life's potential, his mina, less well. Still, though, he earned the king a significant return, five minas. That's a 500% gain. To be sure, that's significant. Will you notice that this second servant's reward is found in verse 19? And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. 
So this second servant's reward in the kingdom was also a reward in terms of a role of authority in the new king's domain. The king said to him, in reward, be over five cities. And so the first servant in the parable was rewarded with oversight of 10 cities in the kingdom, while the second servant was rewarded with oversight of five cities. Notice this second servant's reward, that in that reward there was no well done from the king, as there had been for the first servant. But will you also notice that there was also no reproof from the king for the second servant. I would say this second servant was a middleman, a man whose life merited neither unqualified praise nor sweeping rebuke. If the first servant was outstanding, then this second servant was, shall we say, average, good, but not nearly the best. Now there was a third servant in Jesus' parable and this is a servant that none of us should want to be when we face King Jesus. Very sadly, this third servant had done nothing, absolutely nothing with his mina, which was on loan from the king. You know, there will be some Christians, true born-again believers at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, who have done absolutely nothing for Christ with their lives, never led someone to the Savior, never discovered or used their spiritual gift. These Christians, like the third servant in Jesus' parable, will be noticeably and embarrassingly unrewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. And that lack of reward will look like no inheritance in the thousand-year kingdom on earth. What happened to the third servant in Jesus' parable? Verses 20 to 23 tell us. And another came saying, Master, Behold, your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. This timid, uninvolved and most likely lazy servant had brought a 0% gain on his master's coin. Awkward. Shameful. Apparently, this fearful and unrewardable servant expected somehow to collect what he hadn't deposited and to reap what he never bothered to sow. But he didn't understand that he was called to serve a demanding king. The king called himself such in verses 22 and 23. He said to him, by your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. A lot of Christians don't realize how demanding their Savior will be when he evaluates them at the judgment seat of Christ. You can read of that judgment seat of Christ, also called the Bema, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. These naive believers 
figure that every believer, every single believer, they figure, inherits the kingdom simply by entering the kingdom. These misinformed and wishful Christians think that the king of kings hands out trophies as if everyone wins the race called the Christian life and everyone gets the same trophy simply for participation. A rude awakening is coming to these kind of Christians. It simply doesn't work that way. Back to the parable of Luke chapter 19, now verses 24 through 26. And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. I see some important words in verse 24, and they are the words, the bystanders. And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. Friends, this tells us that King Jesus will evaluate us, not only one of us at a time, but also publicly. The judgment seat of Christ will not be a private examination. We need to think about that. For this third servant in Jesus' parable, life's opportunity for him had been lost. The mina entrusted to him was gone. The king took it and gave it to the already most faithful and the already most rewarded servant. And the king did that so that the good servant could have further opportunity to wisely invest in the kingdom which was right at hand. The third servant was left with no minus for that kingdom. For his time in that kingdom, he would have no minus. But the first servant would have 11 minus. And that servant's prospects in the kingdom were far much more brighter than the third servant who did nothing with the mina while he had life before the king returned. That rewarded servant wouldn't merely enter the kingdom, he would inherit it. He would oversee 10 cities. Verse 26 indicates nothing about the unprofitable third servant getting some newly supplied minas with which to serve the king in the kingdom as it will unfold over 1,000 years. No. The time to use his minas was while he was on earth. Similarly, the time to use your mina well is before you are evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Because at the time of the judgment seat of Christ, it'll be too late. And so this business of either inheriting or merely entering the kingdom is determined now, not later in the millennium. The last passage to show that entering is not the same as inheriting the kingdom is found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. 
If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So let's look at this a little more closely. We have died with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We're co-crucified with Christ, according to Galatians 2, verse 20. So we have died with him, and we do live with him. We've been co-crucified with Christ, and we have been co-resurrected with Christ. We have been given the newness of Christ's life as our life. Every Christian has died with Christ. Every Christian is living with Christ. But now let's move on to the sayings, uh, details about reigning with him. It says, the saying says, to reign with him, bracket, I'd say, in the millennium, to reign with Christ in the millennium, we must endure with him. When? How? We must endure with him now in the church age, before the millennium. Or to put it another way, to inherit oversight over some cities in Christ's kingdom, you must endure now using your gifts properly. The mine is that God has entrusted to you. Let's go on with the saying found in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. If we deny him now, he will deny us. Question, deny us what? In context, an inheritance in his future kingdom. If we deny him now, by not using our minus properly, properly, he will also deny us reward of inheritance in his coming kingdom. That's what this saying is talking about. If we are faithless, the saying goes on, he remains faithful. God never becomes faithless if we become faithless. If we are faithless, and often we are, he, Jesus, remains faithful. This means that what we're denied is not our salvation that he once gave us by grace. No, what we are denied if we be proved to be faithless is the reward he would have given us otherwise, a portion of inheritance in the coming kingdom. Yes, praise God, Jesus remains faithful to us even if we prove to be faithless to him before the Bema the judgment seat of Christ, because Jesus Christ gives us grace to save us, and that same grace from Jesus keeps us securely saved, even if we find ourselves to be faithless, to enter the kingdom is not the same as inheriting the kingdom. All born-again persons will enter the kingdom, only rewarded born-again Christians will inherit the kingdom.